Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Institute Class in the Foundations of the Restoration with Sister Burke. Today, we were joined by Brother Spute, who also taught Institute and Seminary. We had a good discussion, and I hope you guys learned just as much as I did. But if you guys want to follow along and or read the lesson, uh, we're in the Institute Manual of the Foundations of the Restoration, Lessons 23 and 24. You can find it by searching institute on LDS.org, or you can even just look them up on your LDS app on your phone. But we hope you guys enjoy the lesson. You are listening to The Life of a Missionary, a podcast that dives into the experiences of former missionaries of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Enrique Nunez, and I will be your host for the journey of these mission stories from all over the world. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another fun podcast of our Institute class. Tonight we are talking about the prophetic mission and martyrdom of Joseph Smith and also about his life. And we are so blessed to have Craig Spute here with us as one of our guest speakers, along with, of course, Enrique Nunez, who is the wonderful producer of the podcast. Um, The three of us are going to share insight on all of the events and talk about what happened at Carthage, Illinois. And I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Brother Spute, welcome. Tell us um, a little bit about yourself. I am so excited to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, I've taught at the Institute from 1991 to, uh, boy, 2018. And uh, so I love young adults. I love teaching the gospel. I even teach an online course at BYU-Idaho, which is Foundations of the Restoration right now. So very fitting for this subject. And I love the Prophet Joseph. So I'm thrilled to be here with you both. Yeah, he is our expert, and we are so happy to have him here. Um, Brother Spute and I also bonded over seminary last year. We took seminary together in high school. and Yep, it was awesome. It was, and it was the Doctrine and Covenants. So it was yep. also more about church history. Um, okay, well, let's talk about the martyrdom. Um, in, on June 27, 1844, was when Joseph and Hiram Smith were martyred at Carthage, Illinois. And this is one of the most powerful examples of someone sealing their testimony that restored gospel through their own personal death. Um, Let me read this from the prep material. It said, Joseph and Hiram are dead. John Taylor wounded, but I am well. These are words that were sent in a message by Willard Richards to Emma Smith and the other saints in Nauvoo just hours after Joseph and Hiram were brutally killed in Carthage Jail on the evening of June 27, 1844. You know, if we were all living in Nauvoo, how would that feel to hear those words that Joseph and Hiram were gone? Yeah, I can't imagine the devastation that the saints felt. I'm sure the idea that is this it? Is it all over? Probably crossed their minds, though their testimonies certainly weren't leaning towards that. But the feeling of shock and uh, disbelief that they probably felt um, just had to had to really throw them for a loop. And um, I think uh, this was a, a a great test, wake up call for the church as to who we really are. Is this a church of Joseph Smith or is it the church of Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah. yeah. Going off of that, I, I was thinking that the members weren't converted to Joseph because if they were, the, the church would have fallen. 
Mm-hmm. And so they, they 100% had faith in Jesus Christ and they knew that Joseph was the prophet to guide them with what the Lord wanted them to do. But his death didn't mean the end of the church. Yeah. And yet they only knew Joseph as their leader, didn't they? And and going on is difficult. I remember as a, a youth when President Kimball passed away, he had been the prophet of my youth, and all I knew was President Kimball. And I remember that sorrow I felt when he passed away. It was it w- it was difficult, and I I really had to make that effort uh, to find out if President Benson was the new prophet. And uh, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that uh, divine process, if you will. And and the time that they were in Nauvoo, I think, was such a comfortable and peaceful time compared to all that they had been through. And I, I remember studying this the first time, really understanding how beautiful Nauvoo was, how comfortable the situation was. And it even shocked me just to be reading about how all of a sudden he's just gone. After all the things Joseph had been through uh, and all of the, I mean, physical harm he had come into his life and the imprisonment and, and all of the chasing after the mobs and persecution, that this is finally where it ends. And it was hard just to, to study and read about it. Um, the saints' growing political economic influence is probably something we should talk about, too, because understanding why he was even in Carthage for a lot of students, they don't know what, what he went to Carthage for. But on June 10, 1844, Joseph Smith, who was actually the mayor of Nauvoo and the Nauvoo City Council, they wanted to destroy the Nauvoo Expositor and the press, which was printing this newspaper, because it was an anti-Mormon newspaper that slandered the prophet and other saints and was calling for the repeal of the Nauvoo Charter. And this was difficult as a political leader. You know, the city officials feared that this publication would probably lead to mob action. And as a result of that action by the mayor and the city council, Illinois authorities brought an unfounded charge of riot against the prophet and his brother Hiram and even other Nauvoo city officials. And so the governor of Illinois, Thomas Ford, ordered the men to stand trial in Carthage, Illinois, which was the county seat and promised to protect them. But Joseph knew that if he went to Carthage, his life would be in great danger from the mobs who were threatening him. So on June 24th, Joseph and Hiram bade farewell to their families and rode with other Nauvoo city officials towards Carthage. Um, It was later written that they voluntarily surrendered themselves to county officials in Carthage the next day. And after the brothers had been released on bail for the initial charge, they were falsely charged with treason against the state of Illinois, arrested and imprisoned in Carthage jail to await a hearing. And both elders John Taylor and Willard Richard, who were the members of the 12, in fact, the only two members of the 12 not serving missions at that time, they went to join Joseph and Hiram in Carthage. So there's an interesting passage um, from the book Saints, which I think is, I think it'd be good for us to go through. Do we maybe want to take turns reading some of that? Um, Do you want to start with the first section right there? Yeah, I will. Time passed slowly in the Carthage jail that afternoon. In the summer heat, the men left their coats off and opened the windows to let in a breeze. Outside, eight men guarded the jail while the rest of the militia camped nearby. Another guard sat just on the other side of the door. Stephen Markham, Dan Jones, and others were running errands for Joseph. Of the men who had stayed there the night before, only Willard Richards and John Taylor were still with Joseph and Hiram. Earlier in the the day, visitors had smuggled two guns to the prisoners. 
a six-shooter revolver, and a single-shot pistol in case of an attack. Stephen had also left behind a sturdy walking stick he called the Rascal Beater. To ease the mood and pass the time, John sang a British hymn. Shortly after John Taylor sang the hymn for the second time, the prisoners heard a rustling at the door and the crack of three or four gunshots. Willard glanced out the open window and saw a hundred men below, their faces blackened with mud and gunpowder, storming the entry to the jail. Joseph grabbed one of the pistols while Hiram seized the other. All four men pressed themselves against the door as the mob rushed up the stairs and tried to force their way inside. Gunfire sounded in the stairwell as the mob shot at the door. A ball splintered through the wood. It stuck Hiram in the face and he turned, stumbling away from the door. Another ball struck him in the lower back. Brother Hiram, Joseph cried. Gripping his six-shooter, he opened the door a few inches and fired once. More musket balls flew into the room and Joseph fired haphazardly at the mob while John Taylor used a cane to beat down the gun barrels and bayonets thrust through the doorway. After Joseph's revolver misfired two or three times, John ran to the window and tried to climb the deep window seal. A musket ball flew across the room and struck him in the leg, tipping him off balance. His body went numb, and he crashed against the window seal, smashing his pocket watch at 16 minutes past 5 o'clock. I am shot, he cried. John dragged himself across the floor and rolled under the bed as the mob fired again and again. A ball ripped into his hip, tearing away a chunk of flesh. Two more balls struck his wrist and the bone just above his knee. Across the room, Joseph and Willard strained to put all their weight against the door as Willard knocked away the musket barrels and bayonets in front of him. Suddenly, Joseph dropped his revolver to the floor and darted for the window. As he straddled the window seal, two balls struck his back. Another ball hurtled through the window and pierced him below the heart. Oh, Lord, my God, he cried. His body lurched forward, and he pitched headfirst out the window. Willard rushed across the room and struck his, stuck his head outside the window as lead balls whistled past him. Below, he saw the mob swarming around Joseph's bleeding body. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, was dead. The prophet had asked John Taylor to sing the hymn, A Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief. I love that hymn and its powerful message about the Savior. It's hard to sing just a few hymns sometimes as we do in our meetings because the power comes in all seven verses together. I had the opportunity to take a few young adult groups, four actually, through the Carthage Jail as we did a tour from New York to Nauvoo. And each time we would listen to the tape that they had prepared and it was beautiful and powerful. But one time I was blessed to have a, a young man struggling in testimony actually with us and he had a beautiful voice. And I asked the missionary and said, would it be okay if this young man sang a poor wayfaring man of grief? And he started to say no and I could just tell something impacted him to say, well, I guess we could do that. And uh, this young man just sang so beautifully a poor wayfaring man of grief and he sang all seven verses mm -hmm. and it was so powerful the the spirit was palpable and it seemed just to enter that room as 
a new witness to Joseph and his life and death seemed to take hold of the 40 of us that were, were crammed in that, that little jail room. And uh, I was grateful for that and grateful for that hymn. It's a hymn that uh, um, on, on a day in my mission, it was actually Christmas, we were in a member's home and we had a couple hours of nothing to do, which was rare, but I, it's the first hymn that I really learned um, and to play on the piano. And I only play a few and it's one that I still play and, and I'll sing different hymns to the same tune, but there's hardly a time when I play that that I don't think of that moment in the jail and I don't think about that time on my mission. Those memories just come flooding back and, and my witness of Joseph Smith comes back to me as well as we think of that, that beautiful song. Isn't it powerful how music um, brings out so, emo so much emotion? Um, when you have the sacrament hymns and thinking about the Savior and these restoration hymns, thinking about Joseph Smith and the sacrifice both he and Emma and their families made for us to have the gospel today. Yeah. That's beautiful. There was a church member, Dan Jones, who was with the prophet as he prepared to travel to Carthage. Enrique, will you read his quote? Yes. Dan Jones said, I shall never forget the scene when the prophet stood and looking around him, then at the city and its inhabitants who were so dear to him. He said, if I do not go to Carthage, the result will be the destruction of the city and its inhabitants. And I cannot think of my brothers and sisters and their children suffering the scenes of Missouri again in Nauvoo. No, it is better for you, brother Joseph, to die for his brothers and sisters, for I am willing to die for them. My work is finished. This is just one of many selfless examples of the character of Joseph Smith. Um, I had an interesting point at the beginning. Were you, it, were you in the class when we started class by each saying a character of Joseph Smith that yes. we admired? Yes. Okay. Do you remember how we went around the room? There had to be what? We were packed. There were so many. Yeah. We were probably 50 plus students in that room downstairs. And um, each one of them came up with a different attribute mm -hmm. that they admired about Joseph Smith. And the further we went, I think the stronger the spirit got in that room. And it was the very last question. We got to the last student and we asked, who else has this many attributes? And of course the answer was the Savior. Mm -hmm. And I'll say as a teacher, it was one of those moments where it felt like Joseph was standing in the room with us. And it was so powerful um, Elder Oaks, in an article, described the attributes of Joseph Smith that, you know, we could list on and on and on, but he just talked about how many incredible, um, from determination and sacrifice and humility and diligence and hardworking and a fun personality, like, the attributes went on and on, but here in this quote by Dan Jones, he is, he doesn't want his people to suffer. And much like the Savior who knew that it was the end of his life, they both went and gave up their life for other people. Um, there's a great passage in the Doctrine and Covenants that sums up his life. Um, Doctrine and Covenants 135. Do you want to summarize or read some of that, Brother Spew? Yeah. Can I just share something real quick? Yeah. As you mentioned the attributes and the character of Joseph Smith, I... I thought about um, why the statement uh, that the angel gave, that his name would be held for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tugs, and I'm sure that had to shock Joseph. To me, it's actually one of the great testimonies of the prophet that uh, 
how could ever anyone make up something like that that would be so true? Foe and friend would all agree that his name has been held for good and evil. And one of the reasons I believe that uh, his name was held for good and evil is because he was so completely obedient to the Savior. He obeyed the Savior, and it caused great turmoil to come into his life. And sometimes our obedience causes great term turmoil. I know that when we obey, we are blessed and we receive peace. But I also know that there's challenges that come at the same time. I'll go ahead and read that now, starting right there. Mm -hmm. I am going like a lamb to the slaughter, but I, I am as calm as a summer's morning. I have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. I shall die innocent, and it shall yet be said of me, he was murdered in cold blood. The same morning after Hiram had made ready to go, shall it be said to the slaughter, yes, for so it was, he read the following paragraph near the close of the twelfth chapter of Ether in the Book of Mormon and turned down the leaf upon it. And it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord that he would give the Gentiles grace, that they might have charity. And it came to pass that the Lord said unto me, If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto thee. Thou hast been faithful, wherefore thy, thy garment shall be made clean. And because thou hast seen thy weakness, weaknesses, thou shalt be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which I have prepared in the mansions of my father. And now... I bid farewell unto the Gentiles, yea, also unto my brethren whom I love, until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ, where all men where all men shall know that my garments are not spotted with your blood. The testators are now dead, and their testament is in force. Hiram Smith was 44 years old in February 1844, and Joseph Smith was 38 in December of 1843, and henceforward their names will be classed among the martyrs of religion, and the reader in every nation will be reminded that the Book of Mormon and this Book of Doctrine and Covenants of the Church cost the best blood of the 19th century to bring them forth for the salvation of a ruined world, and that if the fire can scathe the green tree for the glory of God, how easy it will burn up the dry trees to purify the vineyard of corruption. They lived for glory, they died for glory, and glory is their eternal reward. From age to age shall their names go down to posterity as gems for the sanctified. Hmm. How? Tell me about your testimony at this moment of such a powerful reading. I mean, I look at this. Elder, Elder John Taylor and Willard Richards were eyewitnesses in this moment, and these are some of their feelings and words summarizing their life, and we now have it canonized in the Doctrine and Covenants. How do you feel about Joseph Smith with all that he did and all that he gave to finish this work with his life? Well, I I have a different point of view just because of, I think, my generation where there there's a lot of uh, naysayers and a lot of, of doubt, and there's a lot of people who attack Joseph. And reading these kind of things and reading about Joseph's life just... Um, cements my faith in it more because there's so many things that he did and there's so many rumors but there's no secrets in the church there's no secrets um, about Joseph's life or about the 
the history of the church. And so for people to try to attack it, it's just like, I mean, you're just making it worse for you. <laughs> um, but it, it definitely cements my faith in, in Joseph being a prophet of God. I agree. I, I have a lot of family members that struggle right now with things that have evolved with the Joseph Smith papers. Everything about Joseph Smith is coming to light and I love it. I, I would love to read every single one. I don't, I don't have time to get through all the books yet. It's a lot. It is a lot, but the more I read, the more I love and appreciate all that he did. And I can't read enough. I like this morning I was reading an article from uh, January 2019 ensign that elder Oaks wrote about his government and political involvement. And even that wows you. I mean, he, he and Kennedy were the only two presidents in the history of the U.S. that were killed during a presidential election. Isn't that interesting? But that's not talked about very often. Mm -hmm. um, but his ability to learn so much in this young life and all that he did, you had to know that it was guided by God. Because to go from a 14-year-old boy having a vision of the a God and Jesus Christ and at 21 receiving plates and at 23 finishing translating the Book of Mormon and by 25 half of the revelation to the Doctrine and Covenants have been received and by 26 years old he's a first presidency and mem and organizing the church and by 33 he escapes from jail in Missouri and at 38 he's martyred and that what a whirlwind of a life right doing so much and I the more I read the more I grow to love and admire who he is isn't it interesting, too, that uh, as the Joseph Smith papers have come out, there has been increased negativity as well as the positive feelings about Joseph Smith. It was Elder Neil L. Anderson that said in his talk in uh, October of 2014, the negative commentary about the prophet Joseph Smith, Smith will increase as we move toward the second coming of the Savior. The half-truths and subtle deceptions will not diminish. They're there will be family members and friends who will meet, need your help. Now is the time to adjust your own spiritual oxygen mask so that you are prepared to help others who are seeking the truth. And he was referring to an oxygen mask in a plane when people need help breathing. A testimony of Joseph Smith can come differently to each of us. And I just want to share a quick experience from my mission. I, I always knew that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I felt like I was taught very well by my parents that that was never a, a question but it the reality of the his testimony his life and what he did happened as a, a green missionary had been out for just a few weeks and teaching in very poor swedish and and i remember we found a family to teach and and we did not find many families probably only i can count them on one hand throughout my mission but there was a family a mother and a father and two children that agreed to hear us teach and uh, the stake patriarch in Yutabori, Sweden, came with Elder Brashears and I as we went to this family. And he told me that I was going to be teaching the Joseph Smith story. And I said, I am so not ready for this. And he said, you pray and practice. And so I did. I prayed and practiced and went over it as many times as I could. And as uh, we began the lesson, he turned to me to tell the story. And I told the story. And I felt the, the gift of tongues. I felt the spirit. And my tongue was loosed, and I was speaking in perfect Swedish. And I knew it was perfect because I had heard Swedish. I grew up hearing my dad speak it sometimes. And, and I just, there was times where during that lesson, I thought, oh, good, I'm so glad I can speak Swedish now. 
And um, at the end of the Joseph Smith story, I bore my testimony of Joseph. And then the state patriarch said, the spirit has told me that you know what this young man has just taught you is true about Joseph Smith. And for some reason, I don't know why, but at that moment, the reality of Joseph Smith came to me. And I, I just started to weep at, at the truth of that testimony that I realized everything that he had done, that he had said was true. And I had no trouble trusting Joseph um, because of the sacrifice he had made. And interesting story, after that discussion, my, my, the gift of tongues was taken away and I had to go back to studying very hard. But for that family mm -hmm. at that time and for the sake of the testimony of Joseph Smith, maybe just for me, but I think it was for that family as well, um, I came to know that Joseph Smith really was and is a prophet of God. Thank you. I, I remember teaching the Joseph Smith story on my mission, and every time you would begin in, 18, in the spring of 1820, and instantly the TV got louder, the doorbell rang, the siren went by outside. There was always an interruption every single time I taught it. In fact, at seminary last year, when we were doing the Doctrine and Covenants, we were on the first vision, and I had, I had told my students prior to that 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 had happened on my mission and so I was just about to tell the story and it and down uh the road in front of the seminary building went a fire engine and the whole class kind of erupted in laughter I'm like anytime you try to testify the restoration Satan's going to do all he can to <laughs> deceive it did you ever have that on your mission Enrique yeah we'd have kids and stuff yell start yelling and fighting and, and things like that or the dog comes in barks and starts licking you yeah, and, and it almost becomes comical because you can see mm -hmm. how hard Satan wants to deflect the powerful testimony of the Restoration. Just as when he was in the Sacred Grove. Yes, and just as Joseph Smith's paper project. Like, you have this beautiful knowledge that comes out for everyone to read, and he's going to try to bring all the doubt and darkness into anyone. Mm -hmm. But the more you read about Joseph Smith, the more it's undeniable that the Lord had his hand in all of it. And he took something imperfect and made this incredible event happen. Um, let's maybe talk about the unwavering commitment that Joseph and Hiram showed to the restoration. You know, when Joseph first received the first vision and he shared it with his father, there was no doubt. You know, as a mother, I have three boys, and if one of them came into me and, and said that they had seen something out in the field that morning, I'd be like, okay, well, let's just get back to work. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I would have had Lucy's reaction and, and Brother Smith Sr. to believe so quickly. But they had this blessing, and all of his brothers, Alvin and Hiram and others, believed in Joseph from the very beginning. That commitment was there from the start. Well, I wonder if they were all being spiritually prepared on their own as well. Um, because it, it was during the commotion of, of everybody going to church, but they were confused as, just as much as Joseph was. And so uh, I guess I think maybe they were trying to seek an answer as well, because I, I don't think a 14-year-old boy is going to do that on his own unless he has that kind of surrounding. Mm -hmm. um, and so his brothers, his parents were all looking for inspiration somewhere, and here comes their son, hey, I have this vision. This is what we're supposed to do. Like, yeah. Oh, this is our answer. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think that's the key. 
right? Is understanding that everyone was, was in search for religion and everyone was trying to find truth. And that's what made him such a choice seer because he brought a knowledge of the Lord's covenants and the whole restoration to the beginning. And that's what they were looking for. That's what they were praying for and trying to seek out. And he felt quite alone in this calling because the people he went to for wisdom, his, his Methodist friend that was a minister, he, he ad- admired him and looked to him for counsel and advice. And then he has this vision and he shares it with him, excited to share it with him. And then the doubt comes in and the minister doesn't believe him. And it says, angels don't visit the earth anymore. Um, Enrique, read that first quote, I stood alone. This is how Joseph felt. Said, I stood alone, an unlearned youth, to, com- to combat the worldly wisdom with a new revelation, with a new revelation. I was an obscure boy, and my circumstances in life were such as to make me a boy of no consequence in the world, who was doomed to n- the necessity of obtaining a sanity, a scanty, sorry, maintenance by my daily labor. So this comes right out of Joseph Smith's history, and he's completely honest. I felt alone. I felt unlearned. I was of no consequence to the world. And I think we feel that way many times. Um, we don't think that we're anything special. And yet the Lord has this great work for us to do. Sometimes you get a calling and you think, really? Me? <laughs> and yet you, you go through that calling, you learn, you grow, you develop new talents, and you're able to do things you never thought were possible. Um, Brigham Young declared, I do not think that a man lives on the earth that knew Joseph Smith any better than I did. And I am bold to say that Jesus Christ accepted no better man ever lived or does live upon the earth. That is a a great statement. I love it. And I I think about, um, if I could just interject one question and let you both respond to it. The Methodist minister that said to Joseph Smith, mark my words, Joseph, nothing good will come of it. And think about all the good that has come into the world because of Joseph Smith. Can we, in 30 seconds, make a quick list? Oh, it'd be so long. The Nightly News just two nights ago did a piece on the church welfare system and toured Welfare Square and the, and the warehouses filled with food that are being shipped out as we speak to countries that need food. I mean, literally feeding the hungry, clothing the naked is happening as we speak. Schools set up all over the world, uh, clean water brought to so many areas of the world that didn't have clean water. Yeah, and even saving the saints' lives. The, a prophet who says, go home, and closes the church and closes the temples in this moment, preventing as many of the members of his church as he can to not be sick. Well, I, I see, again, going from a different point of view, if we were to say that Joseph wasn't inspired and it was just, another religion just another random church that isn't inspired of god or whatever it has still done so much good like if if we weren't the true church we would still be who we are today you know we're very we try to be very um good to our brothers and sisters we're doing all these humanitarian projects we're making sure we're prepared for things like this and everybody else is in chaos (laughs) like my wife and i we're we're pretty young but we've been kind of prepared and we're we're okay but it's because of the counsel of of the prophet and i think uh just just raw beliefs is a has done a lot of good for us and for the world 
And, and that list could go on and on, couldn't it? Oh, yeah. I remember walking down into our pantry and our, to our food storage a couple weeks ago, just taking s- stock and inventory of what we had and literally feeling this over- overwhelming spirit of joy that we had followed the prophet's counsel to have a year's supply of food. And I counted the rolls of toilet paper that we had <laughs> saved there. Oh, good. I need some. And everyone's <laughs> been so worried about so many things. And, and we're still worried. And we stress and, and have the anxiety. But because we follow the prophet, we can fear not. We can stand still and behold the salvation of God because we've chosen to follow the prophet. And, yeah, we'll still run and get more things that we need as we move along. It's not... Our year's supply is not perfect, but we have been counseled to do so. And I'm so grateful for that because there's times I wondered, do we really want to be spending this money when we have bills and debt to, to get a year's supply? And I'm thankful mm-hmm. for a good wife for making sure we did that. Yeah, nice. you did luck out with a very good wife. I'm going to just I did. Let's not go well. there because she'll say, I wish I, you would have said more about me. Well, there's so <laughs> much to say about her that's wonderful. I, before we finish the list, I want to add, don't forget the doctrines. Because yeah. of Joseph Smith, I mean, we understand the nature of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost, the Godhead, and how they function, and the fall of man, yeah. and life the purpose of life, life after death, uh, eternal marriage, priesthood, temples. I mean, it, the list is so long, in addition to, of course, the additional scripture, the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And without that, we wouldn't have a role of, you know, reading how righteous rule could happen in a country or what's going to happen to our country or what it will be like when the savior really comes his the list of doctrines that we learn because of joseph smith alone despite everything else that we have in our life um, has changed my life and my thinking and my perspective and i know we're talking a lot to institute students but the blessing of institute and seminary and even church schools the byus and some people don't like BYU for sports or music or whatever it is, but BYU is incredible. Who doesn't like BYU? The world is their campus. The uh, world. I think it's uh, <laughs> Brother Deebel. Oh. <laughs> really? I just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's so, many, there's so many things. Again, I think if you really made a personal study to seek out who Joseph Smith was, his character, his personality, what his motives were, yeah. that it was to love God and to love mankind. And then to see the good that came because of his courage and determination to live those commandments that God asked him to live. Um, Enrique, there's a great scripture, 2 Nephi 3.13, that I think pertains to Joseph and to all of us. You want to read that? Yeah, if I can find it. Oh, 2.13? Yeah. 3.13, right? Yeah. He says, And out of weakness he shall be made strong. In that day when my work shall commence among all my people, unto the restoring... Unto the restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. I mean, out of weakness, things will be made strong. Here's this 14-year-old boy on a farm in New York, and we now, in 2020, are living in an era with a worldwide church with the ability to bring 30,000 missionaries home from missions and bring them to safety. It's, it's a remarkable miracle from where it started to where we are now. There's also a great one, Brother Spute, in Doctrine and Covenants. You want to read this one? Yeah. 124.1. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offering and acknowledgments which you have made. For unto this end I have raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom 
through the weak things of the world, of the earth. How do you think the Lord's wisdom is shown by calling the weak things of the earth to perform work? Emma said that Joseph could hardly write a, a coherent sentence when they first met. And he brought forth the Book of Mormon and new vocabulary and teachings and insights into Christianity that uh, are a new way to look at religion at that time. Yeah, and wasn't she uh, wonderful to give the testimony because she witnessed before her very eyes something weak becoming strong, and she saw the Lord working through Joseph at every minute. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, One of the great messages which flows from the Lord's use of Joseph Smith as a choice seer in the latter days is that there is indeed hope for each of us. The Lord can call us in our weaknesses and yet magnify us for his purposes. So have you guys had any experiences with that where you thought you couldn't do something? Like Sister Brie, you mentioned it earlier with like callings and stuff. Mm -hmm. But having the mindset of, oh, I, I'm not good enough for this, but the Lord calls you. You know, this is a community example, but, you know, having served in the church and, and we've lived in utah philadelphia indiana and back to idaho and um, i've served in i think most callings a female can serve in <laughs> in every capacity <laughs> uh, but when we moved back to idaho uh, the little school where my children were going did not have a pto president and and it was struggling another new school had opened a lot of families had moved to the new school but we were still at the old school and i remember walking into the principal and having her just desperately look at me she's like is there any chance you'd be willing to lead the parents in the PTO as a PTO president? And this wasn't a calling, right? But this was a need in the community. And I've been primary president. I've been Relief Society president. And I've served in the Young Women's Presidency. Like, so I thought, well, yes, I can do that if my student can have this teacher. You know, there was always a background. <laughs> so, but it was one of those moments where I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. And I, I literally went to prayer about being this PTO president at this little school. And all of my inspiration came from every example the church had taught me. So I set up a class rep for every teacher, just like every Relief Society sister had a visiting teacher at the time. And, and we, had, we had oversight that I wanted to report each month. I wanted them to tell me how the teachers were doing and what help they needed in the classroom. <laughs> and then we set up an art program and we, just like you would a, an activity, right? A ward activity. And we had an art program where every grade in the school got to go to this art room that we set up out in one of the portables we cleared out all the storage and made an art space and anyway it was it was incredible two years after that experience to look back and see what was done from a remodeled gym and a new art program and a, and a changed way that parents flowed and volunteered and it it was not me making decisions it was me constantly praying how do i do this and what's next and what does it come and and i didn't have an example to follow there hadn't been a, a president there for me to look to and you know joseph didn't have a prophet to follow he didn't have someone like oh i can see how you led the church so let's do it this way it was constant prayer and questioning and asking and saying what do i do next and my tiny small example is nothing to what he did but but i felt inadequate and i felt um like I was just scraping by learning as I went, but every time I would pray for help, the answers would flow and they would come. I, uh, I yeah, countless experiences. Anytime I've been called to do anything, I was 25 years old, called to be 
on a high council in a regular stake and and that was so overwhelming to me and the lord just helped me i think one of the most pronounced ones was when i was 29 i was asked to direct the institute choir and there was about 15 members in the choir and and as my african-american children will attest i have no rhythm at all <laughs> and though i love to sing and had very i i directed a song once or twice as an institute choir student with ted anderson as the director when this opportunity or challenge came i simply uh needed to turn it over to the lord and when i asked the lord to help me he helped me and strengthened me and and that was a blessing in my life for nearly a quarter of a century. That's amazing. Yet we could give example after example. That could be yeah. a whole other podcast of how yeah. the Lord can help you do anything. And, and that's really true, even from finding a spouse to having a family to knowing how to raise a teenager to knowing how to get through a quarantine. <laughs> um, every, even how to teach Institute Online, right? Like trying to find new ways to do what you're supposed to do. And it comes through courage and faith and prayer and there will always be an answer no matter what it is that you're struggling with that is right um Jose, uh, enrique you touched on people who are struggling with their testimony now and i think it's interesting that we maybe conclude today with some of those how do we help family members or friends who are concerned about negative things they read or think about joseph smith that's a good question um because i I kind of, I wouldn't say that I struggle with doubting, but it's always, the thought is there. Um, because I know the church is true, and I know that Joseph is a prophet, but I I guess I fear that it's like, what if I doubt someday? Mm-hmm. So reading this, these kind of things is, is definitely helpful. Reading the testimony of, of Joseph Smith, reading the testimonies of, of the people that were with him, like Brigham Young and, and all those other apostles um and just really getting to know him because once you know who he is there's no way you can doubt so i think for for those who are struggling in in knowing that joseph was a prophet just read his story just read his his testimony and see the things that he was able to accomplish that's awesome do you have any other advice what would you say to people struggling i think simply just to love them and validate their their right to believe by understand looking to try and understand why they feel the way they do and yet explaining some of the simple truths without trying to be too complicated there's a, a so much worldly knowledge out there and sometimes so little wisdom and uh, if we will stick with the things we know hold fast to the things we do know instead of our doubts i think that will be a great strength to other people and continue to live the example no no matter how people might malign us individually um, our prophet and even the savior we simply just reach out love and extend an arm of fellowship and compassion because the time and opportunity will come again i firmly believe that they might remember that moment of he or she showed me love and i was tearing down their faith I, love is the answer to every question. Yeah. It really is. People just genuinely need to feel loved and important. And I I think no matter where they are with what their life choices are or what they believe, our one job is to love them. 
And, and that's what the Savior summed up in his life is love God, put him first in your life, and love everyone around you. And I feel that definitely now in this time of quarantine, reaching out to people through text and Marco Polo and FaceTime and Zoom. I've, I've done more electronic communicating in the last two weeks than I have, I think, in my entire life. <laughs> but, um, but I see the need. Uh, you know, we started a Marco Polo group with our Relief Society sisters, and it is so fun to see them light up and realize that they're going to get through this just fine because everyone else is going through the same thing too. Um, in regard to Joseph Smith, I, I think it's so interesting that President Nelson encouraged the whole church to strengthen their testimony of Joseph Smith and the first vision prior to this conference. Um, you have to know that this gospel came from somewhere. And if you have doubts about it, I love Enrique's comment, start with the scripture, start with Joseph Smith's history in the back of the Pearl of Great Price. Definitely take it to prayer. And then start going to inspired sources and start reading the talks. There are some incredible Ensign articles written about Joseph Smith. The one I read this morning I referred to is from the January 2019 Ensign called The Miraculous Mission of the Prophet Joseph Smith, written by President Dallin H. Oaks. And he wrote it in his perspective as an attorney. But there are hundreds, probably thousands, of general conference talks on the prophet's life and his teachings and the things he brought to light for us to have the restored gospel in this day. And I'm, I am so grateful for President Nelson's challenge. At the Institute, we had a discussion what November, back in November when we said we should take this challenge literally and create something for the students to help them follow the prophet and be ready for conference. And we put together that little goal challenge where each week we gave them one word, you know, pray, <laughs> testimony, this week's word is actually journal. Um, <laughs> and, and we reported on that on class, right? How did that affect you to have a goal to do each week? Uh, oh, gosh. It definitely kept it in mind. Um, they, were s they were very simple goals. Mm -hmm. Like you said, pray, scripture, temple, service. But writing it down, I think, was, the, was what, what helped the most. Um, don't have any goal, writing it down, it keeps it in mind. It keeps it in the back of your mind all week. And then there was one week that I didn't do it, and then I was like, oh, shoot, no. And so it, it encouraged me to do it, to do the next one, and to not want to feel like I let myself down even, um, where they were just so simple, such simple goals. And you, they can be very easy, but it's the consistency that, that's important. It was so awesome as a teacher to read the students' answers. So I would ask them each week, what was your goal? What did you set? How did it go? And how did it help you draw closer to the Savior, Jesus Christ? And those half-page reports would come in at the end of each class, and it was like candy for me to read. <laughs> I loved the testimony and the honesty and the good that so many of the students were doing in the world. It was by far probably my favorite part of the semester was to see how amazing each student was in trying to do a little better in their life. So I'm grateful for President Nelson to help us focus on reconnecting with the first vision, reconnecting with the restoration, gaining our own personal testimony. And this weekend is General Conference, and I hope that everyone will tune in and listen to the prophet and feel his love for them. Um, I know President Nelson has a great love, and the First Presidency and the Apostles who have been diligently praying on how to handle the world situation and how to bless the members with peace and happiness. 
And I, I know that Joseph Smith tried to do the same to bring peace and happiness to his early saints that the church might flourish and grow even beyond his life. I'm grateful for him. Thank you. And I, I would encourage anyone listening to go to uh, YouTube and look up the song, He Looked Up by Michael McLean. It is a powerful testimony of Joseph and Hiram. And uh, my last words to you would be John Taylor's words in section 135, verse 3. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. In the short space of 20 years, he brought forth the Book of Mormon, which he's translated by the gift and power of God. And I know that book is the word of God, and I'm thankful to Joseph Smith for that. And I testify of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We want to give a big thanks to Brother Spute for being on the show and sharing his amazing testimony and insight. I honestly felt out of place with these two powerhouses sharing their testimonies, but it was fun and it was an amazing lesson. There's so much that we can learn about Joseph Smith and we just need to pray about it. And luckily conference just passed so we can watch all of those uh, modern day prophets speak as well. But thank you again everybody for listening and don't forget to catch up on the lesson. Bye, everybody.